On this week's episode, we're wondering what we were thinking choosing one of the heaviest cases we've ever covered with the West Memphis Three. Then we double down on the bad vibes by reviewing the incredibly well-done movie, Devil's Knot. So wrap up that satanic ritual and meet us in the pod shed. We're drowning our sorrows in PBR and unfortunately talking about murder. everyone welcome back to thc true hollywood crime i'm your host mariah this is your host bailey it's me b welcome you're another year older another year wiser sure (laughs) if i didn't just kill all those brain cells but you know (laughs) who needs them they're probably like math or something i know irrelevant (laughs) (laughs) life i know we just talked about about how was your week it was surprisingly good For as nervous as I was going into it and putting myself in an uncomfortable position and to see a positive outcome, I'm going to... I'm going to keep it on a high note. And say Fantastic. It was a good week. The people listening have no idea what you're talking about. It doesn't, about, exactly. But just but, know, mm-hmm. um, you know, B had some issues. She worked her issues out at work. And now we're we're living large. Yeah. We're doing great. Mm-hmm. I got to be honest. I cannot remember a thing I wanted to talk about because the case we're doing this week is I'm a real doozy. so depressed by it and I'm drowning in it and I cannot remember. The only thing I can remember about my week, I swear to God, I've watched some Survivor. Mm-hmm. And you watched my child. I fucking babysat <laughs> your child for your birthday. I already forgot that that even happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, how was your your birthday was Monday. Your Correct. actual birthday. Actual we celebrated on our last on podcast Friday. episode mm-hmm. for podcast reasons. But your birthday was Monday. You went out to dinner because our tier, our county, our whatever we is finally to opened. Open up mm-hmm. a little. Yeah. So you and your husband took advantage, went to sushi. Mm-hmm. How was it? It was great. We were in the very back of a corner, no one else around Literally us. Literally my favorite place to be in a restaurant. I know. Hide so, me in the mm-hmm. corner. Um and Nick got me the cutest birthday presents. I brought one of them with me. I love it. I have a new podcast, Blankie. It's got all of our favorite people on it. It's literally got Jason and Freddie and Michael and the Scream face. Like, it's got it all. It's perfect. And it's yep. so soft. Chucky, Pinhead. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It's really big. Mm-hmm. Like, we could both use it in the pod shed. It's super soft. He got me a sweater. You've probably seen them around Amazon where it says friends with, like, the friends lettering. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got, like, Pennywise. Oh, and yeah. Jigsaw mm-hmm. and Michael and Jason and Freddie. So that's really cute. Another really good quality hoodie, which can't go wrong there. Nope. And then he got me these really cute earrings. And I think I'm most excited about one set because I want to make it into friendship earrings for us. Oh, what are they? Are they knives? Here we go. So (laughs) one set is Freddy Uh with his claw. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. But the other set is just of Jason's hockey mask. So now I'm like, I need to get us little machetes. And then I'll give you one of each. Oh, I cannot (laughs) wait. I love it. Yeah, so I just need to find us little machetes. And they're really cute. That's Mm -hmm. so cute. Yeah. 
I know. You know what's funny is we do for your rating every week, we do skulls instead of stars. And the reason we do that is because I couldn't find knives. Mm Mm-hmm. Just today on my phone, I was typing something out and I found a knife. Yeah. I think I was looking in the wrong spot. It's okay. with like the cutlery in the food portion of my oh, emoji. Sure. Because that makes sense. Well, <laughs> it used to be with the weapons. Yeah. It used to be with like the guns and stuff. And so I don't know. Should we stick with skulls or should we switch it to knives now? Oh. I always liked knives better. We did. We just, we didn't want to use the dagger. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was like a match. It was like a sword or something. You know, maybe we'll switch it to knives. Yeah. Hey. Stay tuned. Find out. We'll surprise you. Oh, maybe we should do one of those Instagram polls where, pe- where people. <laughs> Nobody's going to answer it. It's going to be us. <laughs> also, what if we do a different emoji every week? That'd be kind of fun. That would. We're like, oh, we give it do four. Do they have out of a hockey mask? Five. Uh, four and a rainbows. half hockey masks. That would be amazing. I know they masks. have unicorns. I know that. Yeah. And I know they have zombies. So, yeah. Zombies are really cute. Mm hmm. Anywho, um, okay, so your birthday survivor, and then um, I've the only thing I've done this week is worked on my skincare. That's it. I've upped my skincare game. I've bought Did you new get your products. Jelly pop? I got my Jelly Pop facial primer. I got, and then I just went ham on Elf. I got a face wash. Yeah, and then so my routine forever has been um, survey was it C-E-R-V-E CeraVe CeraVe face wash survey but yeah mm-hmm. just face wash mm-hmm. and then a moisturizer that I've used from a company called PharmaGel it's a professional company you've sworn by this I've used it for years and yeah. years and years and years you'll take it out of my cold dead moisturized hands yeah. so but I was like I keep TikTok man I watch them put on a thousand different serums oh, and don't I'm like even talk I can't even tell you well mm-hmm. and then this week I woke up for the I mean, for the first time that I've ever noticed, I had like I've had bags under my eyes mm-hmm. and I've never had that before. I've always had darkness under my eyes and I don't really mind it that much, to be honest. But I woke up and underneath my eye was like an actual like puffy yeah. bag. And I was like, what the fuck? And so and like makeup didn't help. It made it almost worse. Right. Because so, then it's like you're covering up a black eye or something. Yeah. yeah. So I got a new because I was out of face wash. So I figured might as well just go across the board. I got the I got an elf face wash because I love elf products. I've I worn do. elf makeup forever. You turned me on to them. Yep. And so face wash. And then I got a hyaluronic acid serum yes. thing. Moisturizing yes. serum. Yes. Love it. And I got a toner. Mm-hmm. And then my normal moisturizer that I always use. But then I also got masks, under eye masks. Ooh, the little jelly patty ones. Yes. And they really worked. Uh I noticed a difference right away. So. Do you keep them in the freezer? No, because it didn't tell me to. Yeah, in the fridge or in the freezer. They'll feel a thousand times better. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go. I'll put them in there. They're on my bathroom counter right now. But, um. Because they're just the disposable ones. Yeah. I, surprisingly, a little off topic, I used something very similar on my nipples when I was breastfeeding. Yes. And then you gave them to me for when I was and breastfeeding. they were fucking amazing. They were amazing. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. I think the next step is I'm going to have to bite the bullet and realize I'm very old and get an actual eye cream. I, so... For my birthday, I had 20% off at Sephora. I'm a Sephora member, so I had like 500 points saved up that I had used. Uh So between that and then them having a sale, I went off and I did the same thing. I got a caffeinated under eye cream. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I got um, salicylic acid face wash. I got a multi-bitanical 
moisturizer that's supposed to help like balance the ph so it's basically mm-hmm. like a toner and a moisturizer and i did the same fucking thing so and mine funny. is we're so old. I know. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> welcome to the old ladies <laughs> podcast guys what you guys want to talk about next your favorite moo's you like to wear <laughs> Support control panties. <laughs> hey, chubby girls had to wear that even when we were young. Okay, that's an old thing. Oh, I'm dying. Okay, but yeah, it's so funny. I did the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amazing. And even, and even though it was from Sephora, it was like the inky list because I saw that on TikTok. And For it's sure. Super reasonable. Mm-hmm. For sure. And so I've noticed a difference that my skin feels great and it looks good after I wash it. However, it's so many new products I am now breaking With- out. So I just got to ride that out for probably what, like a week or two. And also trying to figure out which are, which of the products is really beneficial. Yeah. Which ones do you want to keep in the routine? Which ones do you want to swap? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. I love it. That's what I've been doing. I've been washing my face twice a day, like a fucking maniac. I've been cleaning up my diet a little bit. I've been working out a little bit, mm-hmm. taking care of my face a little bit Amazing. and becoming Who are clinically we? depressed from this case a little bit. <laughs> so easy to do <laughs> so i had to rent it off of prime the movie yeah. which is fine it was super affordable but i used my I mom's swore it was on netflix it might have been or maybe it's going to be because it did it seemed like it was at some time all right anyways i was like a buck but i did it on my mom's because that's what i have on my phone and so i text her i'm like hey i rented this movie I don't know if I want to recommend it to you or not. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like. It's a serious you, movie. Do you want to cry? Right. <laughs> like, are you in the mood for something really heavy? Because if so, give it a go. <laughs> and, okay, so this week we're doing the case of the West Memphis, West Memphis Three. And the movie is Devil's Knot. And so I'd always heard the name, the title, West Memphis Three. Just like you always hear about the, what, like the Ramirez, the... Never mind. Anyways, so it's like just one of those things you always hear yeah, about. Yeah. I kind of didn't really know what it was until I saw the movie. I saw the movie a handful of years ago, and I really liked the movie a lot. Yeah, because that's kinda, a 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the movie kind of blew me away because I didn't know anything about the case, really. And so, um, again, it was one of the original movies and cases that was in my mind when the idea for this podcast happened. When I came up with the idea, because believe it or not, guys, and I know I've actually seen now that there's a couple of podcasts that are like ours that came out before ours. I swear to God, this is completely my idea. I did not know that those podcasts existed. And one of the things that popped in my mind of, oh, a true crime that has a movie based on it was Devil's Knot. Which I hadn't even heard of. So there you go. It was really good, huh? Did you like it? Very good. Very good. I mean, it's hard to like because it's, a, a shitty topic bummer but it's a well done movie um, i do have one critique i don't like the way they jump around in the fucking timeline it got really confusing with the interviews but that was it and yeah. by the end of the movie i understood it it was just during it watching it because i had to break it into pieces yeah i'm like fuck where am i which interview is this what year is this yeah and it's hard because i don't remember details from the movie necessarily i just remember really liking but yeah it. nonetheless i did it for it being a horrendous story and everything, I did enjoy the movie very much. And I don't know if they say this in the movie and I just forgot, but this is based on a book, <coughs> Devil's Knot. Did not. Um, that was written by an investigative journalist who um, investigated this case. So um, 
I think out of all the movies, this is going to be one of the ones that's very, very close to the case. Like this isn't loosely based no, on. No, it seems extremely. Took some details from. No, this movie. Every bullet point I has has like a date or a name or yeah. something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I got almost everything for this from. First of all, I listened to an episode of a podcast that I've known about for a while and I've never actually sat down and listened to called Murder Squad. I'm sure if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you listen to it. Um, so B definitely does not. Murder Squad is a podcast B hosted by um, two men, Billy Jensen and Paul Holes. Billy Jensen is an investigative journalist. He's worked on some really big cases. Um, he helped write the book on the Golden State Killer with Michelle McNamara, Patton Oswald's wife. Remember right, we talked, talked about, about that? Her. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Billy Jensen is her co-writer in that. He helped finish the book after she passed. Got it. Um, he's well respected in his field, yada, yada, yada. Paul Holes is a retired <clears throat> investigator from Contra Costa County. <laughs> I'm like, Arkansas? Nope. Coco <laughs> County, which yeah. is the county that B and I grew up in our whole lives up until adulthood. But um, he was a lead investigator there and he specialized in cold cases. He worked out of the sheriff's office in Martinez. Very cool. It's very cool because he's like world renowned. Yeah. Like he's not local famous to Northern California. He's world famous. And it's just cool that he comes from our neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, his case that took up most of his career was the Golden State Killer. And they caught him like, I want to say a few months after he retired. Of course. Like he spent his whole career. Could you imagine? Trying to get him. And then he retired and then they and they get them anywho um so their podcast murder squad they go through a case each week and usually it's cold cases or open cases or cases that i guess maybe they thought people got wrong and then they give you paul goes through it like a detective and he goes through the evidence and whatever and gives you like theories and ideas of what could have happened and then they kind of leave it open hoping that the listeners you know, can you never, help. yeah, can help. You never know who might know something. That's amazing. Or whatever. How cool. So if you guys want, like, in detail of this case from a non-biased point of view, I would listen to that because Paul Holes didn't know hardly anything about this case. And they got their hands on um, just the police files and the evidence and stuff. So Paul came at it from an unbiased point of view as an investigator on cold cases and kind of gives you his opinion on what he thinks happened. Great. Lots of information. Really, really good. Um, And then I watched, I rented a movie too Mm. on YouTube Mm -hmm. called West of Memphis. It is a Peter Jackson produced film uh, directed by Amy Berg. Love me, Peter Jackson. It is a documentary about the West Memphis three. This is more biased this is definitely much more biased in the in the West Memphis Three Boys' side of things. Yeah. But it's still a great documentary. Yeah. I got a ton of info from it. Um, and then of course I of course there's always Wikipedia and I read a I read an interview on oxygen.com. But um yeah, really the documentary and that episode of Murder Squad were my two very cool main things. I definitely recommend the documentary. Unless you think they did it and then maybe don't watch it, but I'll just tell you. So now I'm curious, how does the YouTube rental work? Because on Prime, you get it for like up to 30 days. But once you start watching you two it. Days. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's how YouTube is. Okay. Apparently. I just learned that today. Too. Yeah. Uh-huh. <coughs> Excuse me. I think you have like up to 48 days 
or something like that and then but or once something you, yeah like two months or a month maybe so i think it's 30 days total but once you start watching the movie of 48 hours Mm -hmm. yeah but i only had a few hours to watch it because i watched it today before this podcast yeah well it worked out it worked out okay you ready b i'm ready oh by the way trigger warnings guys all across the the board fucking trigger warnings for everything that's just you listen if you have a hard time with child abuse and dead children maybe listen to a different podcast mm-hmm. <clears throat> i would totally understand i wish i could trigger warning myself and back out but it's too late now yeah i had to suffer through it so come with me and i'm gonna do my best i don't want to like necessarily read my notes because they're handwritten notes i really would like to get to the habit of like just telling it from the top of my head because i don't like to sa- i don't like it when it sounds like i'm reading yeah. but we'll see how it goes right you we're, know. we're evolving we get better learn more <laughs> Sure. I like that. Attitude. You know, if our listeners could point us in a direction that they prefer, <laughs> we're open Fuck to some. I do what I want. Some constructive criticism. You ready? <laughs> oh, yeah. West Memphis, Arkansas is a small town that is directly across the Mississippi River from Memphis, Tennessee, hence the name. West, West Memphis. Memphis. Okay, I wouldn't have put that together. I appreciate it. In the documentary, it seems like kind of a low-income place. Yeah. So in this area, in West Memphis, lives Stevie Branch. Steve Branch. They all call him Stevie. Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, Christopher Christopher Byers. They're all eight years old. They all attend Weaver Elementary. They're all Cub Scouts, and they're best friends. Two out of the three boys have stepdads. Um, Michael, who's... Uh, who does not have a stepdad, whose parents are still together. He's kind of like the leader of the group. He's really outgoing. He loves being a Boy Scout. In fact, he wears his Boy Scout uniform on days when there's not even a meeting sometimes. Um, Stevie is an honor roll student and a sweet kid. He loves his mom. And then Christopher is described by his mom as just your normal eight-year-old boy. He still believes in Santa Claus. He loves hanging out with his friends. These are our three boys. So sweet, innocent. So sweet. And by the way, the other thing when I keep talking about like, oh, this is this case is really has me like kind of down. I have an eight year old son. Right. No, this hurts so hard for you. (laughs) I don't know why I did this to myself. Mm -hmm. And it's just it really wrecked me this week. guys. The whole time, all I could think about was the fact that you have an eight year old son. Absolute disaster Mm -hmm. that I chose to do this case. But it's important because their lives were important and people should should know not talk about them because it's hard to talk about yeah so but they seem like just the sweetest good-hearted boys. they seemed very sweet and you look at their pictures and they look very sweet mm-hmm. may 5th 1993 it's a warm spring day pamela branch who is stevie's mom picks stevie up from school they go home and shortly after his friend michael shows up and asks if he can play and at first mom says no because she has to go to work soon But the boys beg and she relents and she says, you better be home by 430 or you're grounded. He's like, "Okay, mom. They take off on their bikes. Um, A few minutes later, their friend Christopher shows up. He also asks where they, you know, if Stevie can play. Pamela sends him after the boys and then she starts getting ready for work. 430, Stevie doesn't show up. Mom's got to be to work at five. So she has her husband, Terry, Stevie's stepdad, drive her to work. Nine o'clock rolls around. Terry, her husband, shows up to pick her up with their daughter, Amanda, who's four. Terry doesn't say anything. She gets in the car. 
just Amanda's in the car. And so she asks Amanda, where's Bubba? Which, by the way. Oh, right. Are you kidding me? Because that's what I call my son. And this is all from the documentary. So this is Pamela telling her story. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. What do you mean? Where's Bubba? Right. So anyways, she asks Amanda, where's Bubba? And her husband hasn't said anything. Her four-year-old daughter tells her, we don't know where he is. We can't find him. So she obviously, they run home. She changes and tries to get caught up on what's happening. So um, the last time the boys had been had been seen, they were playing together near a wooded area near their homes. Um, it's called Robin Hood Hills around 630. Um, shortly after that, Terry had been seen calling for the boys to come in. And then a little bit later, Christopher stepdad mark john mark byers also called out for the boys to come in um and then around some at some point the police were contacted the police aren't doing much neighbors are kind of rallying together to look for the boys but nobody's found anything yet right may 6th the next day police finally show up to do an official search at 8 a.m they start searching robin hills woods um robin hood hills and so they don't find anything. Around 1.45 p.m., a police officer sees a boy's shoe floating in a muddy creek that leads to like a drainage ditch mm-hmm. in this forested area. So another officer kind of goes down to try to retrieve the shoe. He falls in the water. And when he stands up, his legs caught on a log that's like sunken in the water. And so he tries to pull his leg up. And when he yanks his leg up, he realizes that it's not a log. It's one of the boys' bodies. Mm -hmm. They pull all three of these boys' bodies from the creek. All three are naked. All three have been hogtied with their own shoelaces. And they've been tied. So their wrists are tied to their ankles behind their backs. Mm -hmm. Um. They all seem to have damage to their heads, like skull fractures or like head contusions. There's bruising. There's scratches and cuts on them. There was like a struggle. Well, they're just, you know, they're 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 cut and bruised up pretty badly. And uh, that's true for all three of them. But sweet Christopher Byers with his brown bowl cut hair and his big brown eyes has had his genitals mutilated He's had his penis and scrotum cut off of his body. Oh, my God. Um, They find most of the boys' clothing stuck in the mud with, like, sticks. Yeah. And uh, there's no physical evidence of rape, but due to the whole genital situation, they just assume that it has to have some sort of sexual aspect to it. Um, And their causes of death are listed as being due to their multiple injuries and drowning. Mm-hmm. So, by the way, the documentary, if you just want to have your heart ripped oh, out. I, no, no, no. Not no. only do they show. I couldn't watch it because they no. showed the they showed the boys. Right. They showed the crime scene. Okay. I was watching with my hand in front of my eyes because yeah. I couldn't physically look at it. Obviously. And then they show Pamela's reaction because she's standing in front of the woods when they come up and tell her that they found the right. boys and she just screams and collapses to the ground. And that's just, the oh most. Yeah. No, that scene, those pictures that. Oh. Yep. Sorry, B. I don't know. I don't know what I was right. thinking. <laughs> so um, this obviously rocks their Bible thumping, super conservative town. Yes. It would rock any town. Yeah. 
I mean, of course, this is horrific in any place that it happens, but there's such a small town. And this is also happening in the middle of like satanic panic, which was a big thing in the 80s and early 90s. Like people dedicated like people would do episodes of their talk show about it. Mm-hmm. The the police force and FBI had whole like segments of their force dedicated to studying satanic, satanic cults and yeah. they really thought it was like a real thing. By the way, Paul Holes says in Murder Squad that of all of his years doing his work, satanic cults and all that is bullshit he has never found a murder that has ties to a cult satanic cult activity okay he said it was just like a people were just like crazy about it and for like kind of no good reason but that's where we find ourselves in the bible belt in arkansas obviously the horrendous nature of these killings they kind of just chalk it up to it has to be like a satanic it's cult. It's so evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The most evil. Um, so on top of this, investigators kind of fuck up the scene. They trample all over it. They pull the boys out of the water and kind of they put them up on the on the riverbank and everyone's walking around and touching everything. It takes them hours to get the coroner out there and it's a hot day. So by the time oh, the coroner God. gets there, fly larvae have Mm -hmm. already started to form on the boys and it's just it's a shit show it's a shit show there's a whole list of people that they should have talked to that they didn't neighbors and family members that they never even interviewed yep um and so another thing happens that could or could not be related so let's go back in time may 5th Right. Okay. I wasn't sure if this was going to come up. Yep. May 5th, the night that the boys went missing, around 845, a man covered in mud and blood, a muddy man covered in blood, shows up at the local Bojangles restaurant, mm-hmm. um, which is one located one mile from the crime scene. He's obviously disoriented. He kind of stumbles into the woman's restroom and sits there for a while. They call the police. He runs out. And the police show up. They take a look at the scene. He's left blood on the walls. And they say that they take like a sample of it. But then over time, I guess they quote unquote lose the sample. Yep. That's the last we ever hear about the, the they call him Mr. Bojangles. Right. Mr. Bojangles. That's the last we ever hear of him. Police never follow up on Mr. No. Bojangles, which seems absolutely crazy to me. Fucking insane. Yep. I, I still can't believe it. My, oh, thank Oh, God. Mind blown. So instead of looking... Into this guy who seems like... Right, because that's irrelevant. A bloody, muddy muddy, man. Muddy to me is the most important thing because it's like they were found in a muddy fucking creek. Uh So instead, investigators turned their attention to 18-year-old Damien Eccles and his friends, 16-year-old Jason Baldwin and 17-year-old Jesse Miskelly. So they start looking at Damon because they're Damien because they're so convinced about this satanic cult ritual bullshit. Yep. And Damien is a little bit of the town weirdo. He's the picture perfect cult leader. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, not really though, but to these like oh, small for them, town, though. yeah, religious kind of narrow-minded people. To us, he's any average teenager. To to us, we would have been friends with him. Yeah, exactly. To, yeah. He's there. I mean, we're talking about kids. They're kids. They're teenagers who are into heavy metal um, and the kind of artwork that goes with that. They're kind of gothy, especially Damien. And he does like 
we knew kids in high school like this. We were friends with goth kids in high school who did shit like this. Like he had a journal where he would write super like edgy, dark, even disturbing. If you if you were just reading it, it is disturbing. But the question is, is that behind it? Is that because he's a sociopath or is that because he's trying to get attention? He also grew up very, 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 very poor. Very poor. They moved around a lot. All three kids are very poor, but Damien's especially poor. Social services are called out on him all the time. He spends a couple months in a mental institution at one point for uh, delusions and like mood swings, which if he had that bad of a childhood, my childhood wasn't as bad as his, but mine wasn't peaches. And the delusions thing, that's like a um, like daydreaming is like escapism. So I would do it all the time. I would go into these like intense daydreams, which I knew it was fake. I wasn't like pretending it was real, but it's a way to escape your situation. It's like a security blanket. Kind of. It's just Mm -hmm. it's a way to escape. Just like reading for me was always an escape. Yeah. So I could see if his situation was much worse than mine. I could see. And he's very intelligent, by the way, and creative. uh, mm hmm. This whole like, oh, he had delusions. I I personally think that that would be like an extreme form of like escapism from his situation. Yeah. He's not happy with his situation. So he like created and goes yeah. into this other world in his head. Yeah. And then mood swings. Listen, everyone has mood swings. Oh, man. Also him and his. So he's best friends with Jason. Jesse's not as close to the other two. Jesse's not as close to Jason and Damien. Damien and Jason are best friends. Mm-hmm. Um. And they do have a little bit of a rap sheet for like petty theft and vandalism. And then Damien does the mental institution a few months there. And then he gets out and he starts work as a roofer and he's expecting a baby with his girlfriend. And yeah, so they look into them. He's 18. He's 18. Yeah. So they look into them because of the heavy metal and the gothic shit and the occult stuff. Um, Damien especially seems very into that, into like occults and witchcraft and all that shit, right? None of that stuff makes you a killer though, huh? No. Um, so the police bring Damien in on the 7th. So the day after they find the boys, they, they loop Damien in. They bring him in multiple times for questioning and he just is giving them nothing. He's like, I don't know. I have nothing to do with it. Yeah, like what do you guys want? Yada, yada, yada. So then a month later, after not getting anything out of Damien, they pull in Jesse Miss Kelly, Mm -hmm. who is mentally handicapped. Mm -hmm. This movie came out, I think it was like 2012-ish. 13. Oh, yours. Yeah. West of Memphis came out, I want to say like 2012-ish. Okay. Um, They used the word borderline retarded gotcha i'm not going to use that because that's not a cool word anymore i'm going to say mentally handicapped yeah but of all three boys they i feel like chose targeted jesse for a reason yep they sat him down without his parents and interrogated him for over 12 hours they led his questions meaning they would ask him a question. He'd give an answer they didn't like. And then they would start re-asking the question with the information they wanted. Yeah. Oh, don't you mean that this, this, mm-hmm. and this happened? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Oh, don't you mean of that course. it was this time? Aren't you confused? It was really this. And then he would give the answers they wanted because mm-hmm. he was scared of the police. Um, he was confused. And out of that 12 hours of interrogation that they did, they spliced together 45 minutes of things he said 
and released it as a full confession. Right. Immediately, Jesse tries to recant. Mm -hmm. As soon as he's out of police custody and kind of kind of get his thoughts together and talk to people, he tries to recant. Of course. Police aren't hearing it. So also, um, whenever they ask about it again, his story always changes. He never gets the details right. He never says the same thing twice. So obviously, in my opinion, it's not coming from a truthful place. But what do I know? Um, Police also ignore alibis for all three boys. Um, All three of our guys have alibis, Um, especially Jesse. He was at a place with a ton of people and even signed had to sign his name into like a like a sign in book for where he was at. Police don't give a fuck. Of course not. Totally irrelevant. So 1994, the West Memphis three go to trial. Um, Prosecutors kind of whip the jury and the town and the people watching into a fucking frenzy with they show them all the brutal images. They do multiple descriptions and reenactments. Really try to rile people up. Right. They bring on a fucking all these air quote cult experts satanic cult experts which as we now know is bullshit don't mean a fucking thing satanic cults back then were not a thing that was killing people in the woods yeah but they brought those motherfuckers on they brought on a medical examiner who failed his state test twice wow and um basically just went up there and really sold this their whole point of view of course and then um like these state appointed prosecutors or whatever yeah that's who i'm talking about so one of those guys i didn't write down his name because i don't really give a fuck about him um the main guy he went up there it was talking about this knife they found in a lake behind jason's trailer first of all divers have told whoever the divers that found the knife were told the location of where to dive and a description of the knife oh then they miraculously Convenient. find the knife. The press were there because the prosecutor had called the press and told them we're about to make a big break in the case. We're yeah. about to make a big discovery. He knew. Mm-hmm. So the reason he knew and he did not tell this to the jury is because Jason's mother told him about that knife because she threw in the lake over a year previous. He doesn't tell the jury that. Instead, he brings this knife up and tells them 100% this is the murder weapon that was used on the boys. And then his bullshit medical examiner came up behind him and confirmed confirmed it and corroborated it. Yeah, of course. And he never told them that the knife had been thrown in there the year before by Jason's mom or anything. Right. So he's straight up lying to these people. Yep. Um. So also against the three is two witnesses. One is a girl named Vicky who swears that Damien invited her to some satanic cult meeting and the cops get her to agree to wear a wire and invite Damien over to her house to try to get him to like confess on tape Mm -hmm. and it doesn't work. Damien doesn't say anything incriminating. So then she goes up on the stand to testify to the whole inviting her to a cult thing. And I think she might have even testified that they admitted that they did it. And um, that was Vicky. And then in 2003, she recanted. She took it back, admitted that she had lied. The reason she had lied is she claims 
that investigators had threatened to take her child away. Okay. So I don't know if that's true or not. That's Vicky's claim. But she definitely says that she lied. She feels really guilty about it. It's torn her up for all these years. Yeah. The second. um, Uh, Again, can I just point out, like we said, these are like the Bible people lying under oath Mm -hmm. in the eyes of their of their God. That part. Yeah. That part. Mm hmm. Um, and then there's another guy. I can't remember his name. And I can't remember if he was a friend or a cellmate with Jason. Either way, he gets on the stand and says that Jason admitted and described the murders oh, to him. Okay. This kid's a fucking drug addict. Yeah. He's high out of his mind while he's testifying <laughs> on the stand. And now all these years later, he recants. Yeah. He takes it back. He said, I'm not high anymore. He was facing. Well, and he was facing more time. Of he was course. facing major time in prison. And they offered him a, a break. reduced sentence if he testified against them. So he wow. got up there and lied his ass off. And now that he's an adult, he takes it back. And he also feels really fucking bad about it. Oh, my gosh. So. I got a lot of real great people doing amazing things here <laughs> also in the courtroom it's like so we have jesse who's mentally handicapped yep. right he's not going to do any favors for himself right jason super artistic quiet introverted mm-hmm. that's why i personally think he was the one where they got this witness his cellmate or friend whoever it is Went after him because Jason just would sit there and take it. Uh-huh. And just not fight he, back. Not fight back. Damien, on the other hand, are in too people's smart, faces. Too smart. Yeah, too well-spoken, too intelligent. Not just that. He's a punk. Okay. He's up there acting up. He's flipping people off in the okay. fucking courtroom. Okay. He's in the faces of lawyers. He's pulling faces at the jury. He's not just outspoken. He's like, and the whole time, it's this real look of like, he looks so condescending this whole time that yeah. these adults are taking this shit seriously, meaning the whole like his journals and the goth yeah, like, and the metal joke. It's and a he's waste looking of time. at them like, are you fucking serious that you think that this is real? Tell me you or I wouldn't have the same response. What I'm telling you when I tell you that we would be friends with this guy, yeah. we were friends with this guy in Literally. high school. Um, so whatever but yeah he was just like in their face loud would be us. almost rude about it absolutely joking so, mocking mm-hmm. jesse is convicted of one count of first degree murder two counts of second degree murder and he's sentenced to life in prison plus 40 years jason is um, found guilty of three counts of first degree murder and sentenced to life damien is found guilty of three counts of first degree to murder and sentenced to death because now. he was the oldest, right? Because he was own. the oldest and he was like the ringleader. Right. And the, they were really. That's the, what I thought, too. Because I'm like, at first I was like, why would he get the death penalty? And then I actually sat back and I was like, yeah, all right. Well, you. and not only is he the oldest, but um, the prosecutors were really going after him hard of like. And also it could be the personality thing, too. Jesse, they can't push Jesse too hard. If they put Jesse in front of jurors for too long, they're going to start to like Re- figure out that. You know, we might not be dealing with somebody that has all their faculties right. with them. And then Jason's so quiet that same thing versus Damien, who's in people's Put on faces. The show that they were looking that for. That they're like, yep, see, he's evil. He's soulless. Look at that. Look mm-hmm. at that. In that he like coerced the other boys into it with his. For sure. Soulless, satanic ways. For sure. 
Okay. So, normally, for our episode, that'd be the end. That's maybe halfway through my notes. I know. Believe me, my notes are long, too. However, now, I mean, you're basically covering a lot of the movie. Yeah. So, I won't have too much to say. Well, you say whatever you want. <laughs> so, all three have maintained innocence. All three maintain innocence. Yeah. Um, Damien believes that they were set up. Um, this is a direct quote from him, from the interview, from the documentary. Um, he says that they set him up because they're, quote, bottom of the barrel, poor white trash kids. Basically saying that they were easy targets. Yeah. They're not going to have the money for a good defense. No. They're not going to have the public on their side. Um, and this is a great way to get a horrific case wrapped up nice and neat in a bow makes the prosecutors look good make the police department look good and it feeds into their whole theory about this satanic bullshit yeah and yeah. then everybody can just move on with their lives right great so over the years the three start to get more and more support a documentary is made called paradise lost um which kind of just takes off an investigative journalist named mara or mara Leverett writes the book Devil's Knot. Um, they get all kinds of celebrity endorsement and support from Eddie Vedder, Henry Rollins, who's the lead singer of Black Fat Flag. Do you know who Eddie Vedder is? No. Lead singer of Pearl Jam. Okay. Henry Rollins, who's the lead singer of Black Flag. Natalie Maines, who's the lead singer of the Dixie Chicks. And Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. They hold concerts for these guys. They hold press briefings and public statements and anything that they can do with their star power and their finances to help they help um damien grows up to be i mean i know he's 18 when he goes in but over the years he becomes very well spoken very well educated very well read um he ends up marrying a woman named Lori davis who then after they get married quits her job to start this movement to free the West Memphis Three, she gets a ton of attention for it and just throws kind of her whole life into this. She catches the attention of Peter Jackson, who produced the movie I watched, West right. of Memphis, who helped bankroll a lot of this movement. He put a lot of finances into it and then eventually made the movie about, well, yeah. produced the movie about it. So what is it about this that are making people rally? We kind of covered some of it, right? The bad investigation. Real quick, what happened to his baby? Uh, That I couldn't find. And I don't, you know, I figured if he wanted it known, it would be known. Yeah, I respect it. I I looked at where they, I I looked up where they are now and Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't find anything about his kid. That's fair. Um, So why are people rallying behind the three besides the stuff I already mentioned? And what are we going to do with all this new money we have and all the celebrity endorsement? Well, first thing we're going to do, we're going to get a whole new team of people. They hire new lawyers, new private investigator, a new medical examiner, a fucking ex-FBI guy to yeah. look at the case from an um, investigative standpoint, kind yeah. of like our boy Paul Holes did. Fuck yeah. Um, so here's some of the stuff they find. The new medical examiner say that the boys died of head trauma and drowning. He feels all their injuries happened post-death. Oh. So what does that mean? Does that mean that it happened because somebody dragged them or somebody decided to cut them up after they died? He believes 
It was animal activity. Well, in the river itself, the rocks. And- well, listen to this. They talk to locals and they will tell you that that river has hella turtles in it, which oh. sounds crazy. No, it does not. Mm-mm. It's got all I've been kinds- bit by a turtle. It's got all kinds of snapping turtles. Mm-hmm. And it has, look, I saved this to show you, B, because I had never seen this before. Hold on. Turtles Wait. are crazy. I had a turtle. No, these are. So they also have alligator snapping turtles. Have you ever seen those? Um, Here you go. Here's a picture of an alligator snapping turtle. That's a dinosaur. It's a fucking dinosaur. That's a dinosaur. It's way, whatever you're thinking of a turtle, it's way bigger. Yeah. Way scarier. And it's got like a big sharp beak on it. Yeah. It's like tortoise size. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a tortoise, but with like sharp claws and beak. And it looks like a fucking monster. Like a tortoise and a pterodactyl had a baby. (laughs) And I guess they talked to like turtle experts who said that in May, turtles get like super feisty. Mm Mm-hmm. And that the the river's like overrun with them, like hundreds and hundreds of these fucking different breeds of snapping turtles. Wow. So then they go into like what? So Paul Holes doesn't necessarily believe in the animal activity scenario, but Paul Holes is from where we're from. And I don't know if he's ever seen an alligator snapping turtle. I don't know if he even if there was just a couple. Yeah, I, I would even, believe that. I don't right? know if he's like wrapping his brain around the turtle situation. Yeah, this isn't your average pet store turtle. So they show a lot of the um, they show. So they compare the marks on the boys's body and they look exactly like turtle bites. They even show one of the turtle, I guess, experts, the word yeah. turtle experts voluntarily gets bit by like a regular snapping turtle, not one of these monsters, yeah. but a regular snapping turtle. That and it hurts. Oh, it it looked like it very yeah. much hurt. And then he showed his arm afterwards and the mark on his arm looked exactly like the marks on the boys. Yeah, no, that shit hurts so bad. And they said that without getting too graphic about Sweet Christopher, they said the way snapping turtles <gasps> work is they go after soft flesh first. Yes. And if it's anything that's like hanging from the body, Easily. that's their first target. It's and like they, a little fish. And they proved this by putting, um, I believe they put a dead pig in a tank with some yeah. of them. And they did. They went for the soft bits first. And any bits that were kind of going off of the body, right. those were their first targets. A thousand percent. I would confirm based off of my turtle experience that this <laughs> sounds accurate. It's a turtle situation. Mm-hmm. So that's what they say. Wow. Um, Never in a million years would I have seen this twist coming. Right. So they get like, um, I think about seven experts to weigh in on this. None of them know each other. They all agree with the medical examiner's prognosis. At least, I mean, the turtle thing's a theory, but at least the prognosis that the superficial wounds on their body happened post-death. And that all three boys died from skull fractures and drowning. Right. So... Still horrific. Still horrific, but, but it, it, it helps. It helps a little bit knowing that even if that's not true, even if the turtle thing's not true and somebody physically did that to it them. It was still after the, the fact. The fact that they would have done it after death. It I, helps. It's a... It's a silver lining. A, a very it's, small It's, it's a sliver. It's a oh sliver. Oh, my God. Um, so once you take the satanic aspect out of it, we have to look at the case differently. Oof. So the satanic thing was it could be anybody. It's not personal. It's a sacrifice. It's just whoever they like run up on to do their occult practices. Right. Yes. If it's not satanic, it becomes personal. Mm-hmm. So who has motive? Because the three 
well, the West Memphis Three don't have any motive. They don't what, even what, know these boys. What would they want with eight-year-old boys? Right. Um, so they start looking at people who would have a personal <clears throat> tie to the boys. Um, they also find a hair inside one of the ligature knots. Mm-hmm. So it's not like if they would have found a hair just on them, they're like, oh, well, that can come from anywhere. But it was inside. But this hair is inside of the knot, and it's not one of the boys' hair. Mm-hmm. Um, they also find some other DNA on the on the scene that never got tested. So they send the hair off for Shocking. testing. The <sighs> DNA. I don't even know what the DNA was. I don't know if it's another hair maybe for testing. And guess what? Does not match up to Damien, Jason, or Jesse. And by the way, all three of them were all for the DNA testing. Yeah. They're all, let's do it. They volunteered their own Obviously, DNA. They're all, yes, you? Let's, let's go. And did they do polygraph? I'm not sure. Uh, they did do polygraph. I can't remember the results, but polygraph um, has it's been still, known to not. I know, but still, I, I feel like at the time, it would have been more relevant. It would have weighed in. It would have been more relevant, but that doesn't mean that the results would have been. Yeah. Any more, more or accurate. Less, yeah. Because I think it just kind of depends on your stress. Like, I think sociopaths beat those things all the time all because the time. they're not stressed by the questions. Mm-hmm. So we have the new DNA we got tested. Doesn't match for Damien, Jason, or Jesse. They bring in the old witnesses from the first time around, the alibis that nobody wanted to listen to. Guess what? All these years later, their stories never changed. So they're even more credible. Of course. They're alibis. Um, and so now we're kind of left with somebody who would have possibly had motive, somebody who is personal to the boys, somebody who would have been maybe the last one seen near the boys or whatever. And that leaves us with two stepdads. Well, Christopher's stepdad had already been looked at by the original investigators before they really pinned down that they thought it was the, the three. Mm-hmm. And they exonerated him. Not exonerated him, but they they passed him. He passed. Yeah. They <clears throat> they dismissed him. And the new investigators agree with that. They look into it. They don't think it's him. Okay. So that leaves us with Terry Hobbs. Yep. Stevie's stepdad, uh-huh. who they never interviewed. And who says that he has an alibi, his friend Davey, who helped him, quote, look for Stevie all night long sure so terry terry has a history of domestic violence against his ex-wife and ex-partners in general he has a history of child abuse from his ex's children he has an assault charge against a neighbor he shot his brother-in-law and pamela's family stevie's mom has never liked him okay um Especially the ones that came out and talked about him the most was Pamela's sister and Pamela's mother. So her sister basically is claiming that Terry was jealous of Stevie, um, of the attention that Pamela showed Stevie. Mm -hmm. Terry's obviously known for having a bad anger problem due to all the domestic violence that keeps occurring. So basically he would beat the shit out of Stevie. He'd beat him with a belt. He'd lock him in closets. And all of this, by the way, Terry straight up admitted to. He was oh, like, yeah, of course. You got to discipline him. Damn. Right? Um. So his, the sister also claims that Stevie starts to tell her, ask if she can keep a secret and tell her that basically Terry's been coming into his room sometimes at night and masturbating in front of him. Wow. And... 
even forcing him to touch his little sister Amanda while he ma- while Terry masturbates. There's nothing besides what the sister's claiming to corroborate this. But still. Who knows? Who Unfortunately, Stevie's not up. here to tell right. anybody. Um, the little sister Amanda was so young at the time. Amanda, at the time of the documentary, was a grown adult and a very bad drug addict. And Ugh. part of that was due to her brother's death. And part of that was due to a fucked up childhood. Right. She does remember Terry did used to hit her as well and also hit her mom. But there's big parts of her childhood she cannot remember. But she does suffer from really bad anxiety dreams of being raped or molested by Terry. Oh, my God. And she can't prove if that's true or not because she's blacked it out of her memory. But she definitely is wondering why what happened in her childhood that would cause Mm -hmm. such bad memory loss. So... um. Besides all that, just devastation and heartbreak. So the team hires a private investigator, like I said. She gets her hand on um, some of Terry's smoked cigarette butts. They bring it in. They test it for DNA. Guess whose DNA matches the hair found in the literature? Ding, ding, ding. Terry Hobbs. They go to Davey with this information, who's now doubting everything. Davey tells them, well, we weren't together all night. Like, there was a certain block of time where terry left and then came back to my house that block of time was from 6 30 to 8 30 there's two hours where terry's unaccounted for well our new super team has already before davy told them this narrowed down the time of the killing to between 6 and 7 45 p.m and they said that with one grown man versus these three kids the killing should have only taken about 20 minutes yeah easy so that fits right in our pocket of time um davy then volunteers his own dna and it matches with that that other dna found on the scene it doesn't mean davy was there but it could have been transfer dna meaning that if it was a hair it could have been let's just say hypothetically terry was there it could have came off of his clothing onto the scene um also a neighbor puts terry as the last one to see the kids terry's claimed this whole time he never saw any of the boys not even stevie all day long, never set eyes on them. Correct? But. A neighbor who was on her way to church saw the boys going into the woods because she called out hi to them. She knew it was 630 because she was leaving for church. So she knew what time she left for church every mm-hmm. week. Called out to the boys and she said right behind the boys went Terry. And she had just assumed that Terry was with them because it's, hello, it's Her's, Stevie's yeah, it's the stepdad. stepdad. Yeah. She just assumed that he was going into the woods with them and she kind of didn't think about it for I a wouldn't. long time. And then she came out with it years later. She finally put, I guess, two and two together. Um, so that was at 6.30. That was at 6.30 when I guess... Pam was already at work. Pamela's at work. And this is when they had said, neighbors had said that Terry was calling out for the boys. I'm just So curious. I'm wondering if Terry called out for the boys... <clears throat> The boys showed up and then they all went into the woods or vice versa. Maybe Terry called out to the boys. The boys went the other direction and Terry followed them. Pissed. Who knows? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Also, Terry was seen that night while Pamela was at work cleaning his house and doing laundry, which is weird because this piece of shit never cleaned anything ever. Why would he? Mm -hmm. He had also changed. Pamela noticed that he had changed his clothes from when he dropped her off to pick her up, which was also very much not like him. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Also, at some point, Pamela and Terry divorce and separate. And when she's going through Terry's things, she finds like a lockbox that has all of his Mm -hmm. knives and pocket knives in it, including her son Stevie's pocket knife. And she swears up and down Stevie never went anywhere without his pocket knife. He always had it on him. Why wouldn't he? Why would Terry have it in his lockbox? Terry says that he took it away from him because he felt uh, worried about the boy's safety because he was a young boy with a pocket knife. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Likely story. So there's all of that. Um, At some point, Pamela and some of the other parents have now switched sides. They now believe in the boys. I keep saying the boys, the three innocence. Mm-hmm. And they think that Terry's probably guilty. Um, Terry's nephew's friend. Friends come Terry's out. Terry's nephew's friends. So Terry's mm-hmm. nephew is Michael Hobbs Jr. Okay. Michael's friends come out and be take lie detector tests and testify that... Michael Hobbs Jr. told them that his uncle did it and that it was the Hobbs family secret. Wow. The Hobbs family secret. So they go for a... um, Could you you keep a secret like that? Fuck no. A kid killer? No, bro. I'm ratting you out to everybody. Right? You're going to be lucky. I'm not. Listen, you're going to be lucky if I go to the cops first. I'm probably here in Northern California going to go to my local MC and let them take care of you first. And then maybe we'll get the police involved. You fucking piece of shit. Um, So they go for an appeal. They get denied an appeal. Some more years go by. More benefit concerts and all this shit with Johnny Depp. It's <laughs> a bunch of stuff with Eddie Vedder. Um, and by the way, I would like to say I found it, I guess, maybe a little touching. It's kind of how we felt to Henry Rollins, the lead singer of Black Flag. The reason he's so invested in this, especially with Damien Eccles, is he's like, this kid was me as of a teenager. Course. He's like, so wait, you're talking about a kid who likes heavy metal? Check. Who dresses weird? Check. Check. Who writes that he's depressed and writes super has edgy weird stuff in his journal check Check. so it was he's like if this would have been a different place in time it could have easily been me just like Mm -hmm. it was damien so i just thought i don't know why that popped in my head but i love henry rollins i'm a big fan um eventually there is a new prosecutor eventually there is a new judge and there is enough evidence for them to lead to a new trial okay so Before we get to a new trial, the prosecutor lays a deal on the table. And this is an Alford plea. And what an Alford plea is, do you know what it is? I do not. Okay. I thought maybe because of your senior project, you knew what it was. It was referenced in the movie, but I didn't take the time to look into it. So an Alford plea is a plea that basically allows the defendants they plead guilty, but they maintain their innocence. And then the state can close the case. I'm not sure what the point of this plea is. Yeah. I don't know why it even exists, but that's what the prosecution offers. Damien. So they remain guilty, guilty, but they're released. They're pleading guilty, but they maintain their innocence. 
Um, Damien and Jesse jump on it. I mean, Damien's looking at death here. And so he's like, yes, sure. I get out. Fine. Whatever. Let's do it. I'll sign my name. And of course, Jesse's just doing whatever. So, yes. Jason, on the other hand, is ready to fight this shit till he dies. Yeah. He wants to be not just like, oh, I'm out of prison. I want to be he fucking innocent. innocent. I want you to tell people that I'm innocent and that you fucked up. I want up. justice. I want the truth. Mm-hmm. And we are talking about a guy who, when he's 16 years old, facing life in prison, facing the possible death penalty, was offered multiple secret deals. Uh-huh. To rat on Damien, his best friend, and didn't take it because, quote, that would be a lie. And my mother raised me better than that. Oh, my God. So amazed. He comes around and he agrees to it, too. And the only reason he agrees to it is it's going to save his best friend's life. Because without it, if they get found, it's all or nothing. Well, because if they, it has to be all three. Yeah, it's all or nothing. Okay. And if they, if if they don't do it, they're going to go back to trial. And then what happens if they're found guilty again? Right. Then his best friends straight to the electric chair okay. or the whatever lethal what injection. Mm-hmm. So he agrees, and boom, they're released that day. The day that they agreed to it is the day they're released. Holy fuck! That day. That day, wow. and because they quote unquote pled guilty. Although they maintain their innocence and they said that before they pled it, they're like, I'm innocent, but I plead guilty on behalf of the Alford plea, blah, 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 blah. The state keeps the case closed because it's a closed case. They got their guys. They got the three guilty guys. They let them free. Terry can never be found guilty. Terry wasn't part of it. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, they'll never pursue Terry because it's a closed it's case. It's a closed case. He can never, right. Unless something, I guess, really comes up that like blows everything right. out of the water. But I don't know how much more you need besides DNA evidence. Like it reminds me of that movie Double Jeopardy or whatever. Yes, definitely. Um, so all three are now in their 40s. Damien Eccles is still married to Lori. Um, he's the most out of all of the three. He's the most public. He's the one. Th- he's the one that'll do the interviews and the publicity. He's wrote a few books. Um, that's what he's doing. Jesse is still in the same place doing construction, and um, Jason. I hope I didn't call him Justin before. Did I ever call him Justin? Not that I remember. Oh, thank God. Yeah. And Jason um, moved to Texas and started a nonprofit to help get innocent people out of prison. Amazing. And there I you go. That. that is the West Memphis Three. And wow. Terry piece of shit Hobbs is still walking around. That's so crazy. So, you know, there's still a lot of people who think that this is all bullshit and think that they're guilty. Oh, um, there always will be. Even the prosecutor who gave them the Alfred plea says that that he thinks they're guilty. God. Um, and of course, they I mean, they talked to the old prosecutor and the old judge and they swear 100 percent he's guilty. They talked to the jurors that had um, they're so convinced sentenced them yeah. that the jurors thought that they were guilty. So, you know, it's just one of those things. I tend to lean towards innocent. Um, I feel like it it really feels like it's either Terry or the dude in Bojangles. Um that never got a fucking second glance. Right. That shit blows my mind. And uh, I did. I saw a thing for a podcast that was going to argue their guilt. 
And he had some like air quote expert on there that had done all this like research into it. And then the minute I started listening to it, look, I'm a do it yourself podcaster too. I get it. But the sound quality was shit. Both of them sound like they just came from the, uh, Never mind. I'm not going to say it, but they don't sound like the most educated people in the world. And, uh, so I kind of skipped around that one and they were basically saying that the three were guilty for all the same reason that the right. prosecutors and shit said they were guilty. And to me, a lot of it doesn't hold water. So I didn't listen to it. So I'm here's you know. my wild ass theory. Let me hear it. Is that the dude that ended up at Bojangles stumbled that was like a vagrant, like a homeless person. Oh, and stumbled saw across Terry tried to help the boys and got involved in like a. Mm-hmm. scuffle or whatever totally yeah could totally be but it that's my theory that's a good theory b which i just came up with now because you tied up so many loose ends for me Whew, that was it's a lot it's a lot i'm happy because it's the, over there. the first few pages i'm like you just told the movie for me basically <laughs> and then yeah. you really got into it though which i appreciate there's a few things i'll point out about the movie so what was the name of the person that wrote the book? Mara, Mara, yeah. M-A-R-A. And so I don't know if Colin Firth's character, Ron Lax, is based on her or the FBI guy or like someone they hired after the fact. But like he plays a private investigator in the movie okay which they clearly didn't have their first go around no they had nothing their first right so that's where i feel like that's got to relate somehow to the later players oh and can i just say one more thing Mm -hmm, i had in my notes i've got to say um there was an interesting contrast when the three went to trial the first time it was crowds of people basically like with pitchforks ready and torches. for them ready to burn you them. could have hung them on the court and steps they, people of the would have been celebrating court. oh my god they would have been over the moon right and then 18 years later i forgot to say how long they were in prison they served 18 years mm-hmm. 18 years later when they were released they were released to cheering crowds who were cheering that they were released amazing what a feeling love that for them um so, you know, the movie opens, it's dark as fuck, we're in the middle of the nowhere, sounds of crickets, and it says, West Memphis, Arkansas, May 5th, 1993. And we're flip-flopping between Pam, who is played by Reese Witherspoon, mm-hmm. and like I said, this guy, Ron Lax, who is a private investigator, played by Colin Firth. Yep. And so, Colin's story... Or Ron's story, I feel, is a little irrelevant, but they make a point to, like, show that he's in the middle of a divorce. Mm -hmm. But one thing I do want to point out is the wife, the ex-wife, is played by Amy Ryan, and she played our mom, Marie Gilbert, in The Lost Girls on episode 23. Okay, Amy. Right? Strong Island. So... I wanted to point that out. So while I feel like it's irrelevant to the movie, I really like the way that it ties into our podcast. Is so. this our first ever like crossover double dipper actor? No. Have we had Sissy Spacek in two? I feel like, I don't know if it was Sissy, but I feel like we've had some double dippers. 
Okay. Maybe Fantastic. that's a follow-up for next week. <laughs> what, you want me to go back and listen to every yes. episode, try to figure it out? Uh, um, But yeah, the whole thing, the Stevie asking to go ride his bike, 4.30, blah, blah, blah. Um, It was a very big image, was the dead end. Yes. The dead end sign, the end of the street where the boys, you keep seeing them over and over and over again in this reoccurring image of the boys going into these woods, the Robin Hood woods. And um, to be fair, I thought that the dad at first or her husband, so Stevie's stepdad, he seemed like a sweet guy. Like he seemed like an attentive, loving husband, but... Now, after hearing what you said and looking back at subtle hints given by the movie, mm-hmm. I'm looking at him in a completely different light. And also, it was said by multiple people that he had he he was that way. He could be very very sweet and charming. Okay, and then his temper it was like sh- a hairpin yeah, temper, and, and I- then he would. Um, Pamela said that that when he was angry, you could tell because um, oh shit. I totally forgot a whole thing. Oh. So, hold on. Yeah. Um, new evidence. I'm talking shit about Terry. So, they couldn't do anything with all their DNA stuff they found about Terry because they're not police official. They're not investigators, yeah. right? They're not official people. So, um, their appeals denied. At some point, Terry sues Natalie Maines, the lead singer of the Dixie Chicks, for like defamation of character because he's trying to get money. Yeah. And because of this lawsuit, it basically gets Terry into like a court or a lawyer's office or a whatever so they can finally question him. And none of his stories remain the same or add up. He either lies about shit, denies stuff that they have proof about, or just straight up won't answer questions like and you can see this is what remind me of it pamela said that when he was angry you could see his eyes switch to evil and that's how you knew that he was angry and you could see it when they would bring up he thought he was there suing this rich person for money and then they they, flipped the switch and they were bringing evidence out to him and you could literally see the switch happen and his eyes just drain of life and just get like you know that you know how it's even like almost scarier where it's that quiet angry and you're just like you can tell inside they're just raging yes oh Oh my That's God. what happened. And he lost the lawsuit, by the way. Natalie won. You think? So that was a whole paragraph in my notes. I completely skipped. Yay. Well, I'm glad that worked out. Anyways, go ahead. So, yeah. so yes, he is that way. He can be very sweet and kind and charming and then also a complete fucking monster. Okay. So while I talked about the dead end being a reoccurring image, we also have this reoccurring voice of a boy who is not one of the boys who lost their lives that day. Yeah. It's. Aaron, Vicky's son. Okay. Okay. And he keeps saying that they followed this pipe into a place known as the Devil's Den mm-hmm. where nobody knows what happened but me. It's super creepy. Super creepy. Right? And so we see a police officer in interviewing parents about the missing boys and trying to get information when she gets a call on her walkie talkie about the man at Bojangles. Mm -hmm. She goes to the scene. 
he's already gone. And like I said, like like you said, that's it. That's fucking it. Like, oh, he's gone. Whatever. So as time goes by, Reese Witherspoon, Pam, gets more and more upset. Very Marie Gilbert style, right? Storming into the... Can't blame her. Yeah. Off uh, police headquarters and demanding that they do more. So in the movie, does it feel like it's a few days? It does. Okay. Yeah. But obviously it was like one day, right? In real life, but that doesn't mean in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they do. They go down and you see them poking around in the creek. They find the shoe. They find the boys. For some reason, I don't know if I remember it wrong or if it's just the movie, I feel like the boys were tied in front, not behind the back. Yeah, I don't know. For movies, it could just be like a easier thing to do or like an image yeah. situation. But either way, I'm going to point out, so here I am at work. <laughs> They've just found these fucking boys' bodies. Yeah. They do not shy away from showing them pulling these bodies from this fucking river. And Reese Witherspoon deserves an Oscar or whatever award they do for her blood-curdling scream and just falling to her knees. Can't imagine. And I'm just, like, collapsing. Right? (laughs) Just in pieces. And then I find out later, after the fact, looking up pictures for inspiration for my look tonight, she's fucking pregnant with her little boy. Oh, my God. While she's filming this movie. Are you kidding me? (laughs) What? I'd be broken. I don't think she is, B. Look at the pictures. Her boy's older than that. How old's her son? Her youngest is like eight. Who'd she have another kid with? Her new husband. Whoa, I had no idea. Yeah. I completely missed that. Yeah. I thought she She's only got had... the two. That's with Ryan. the only ones I thought she had. No, she has a new boy. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Who I believe is about. Yeah, whatever. Listen, I believe you. I didn't even know he existed. So sure. Yeah, absolutely. But oh, I just thought that was so crazy. And then they throw in these other two boys. So you tell me if they have any relevance whatsoever. Police come to talk to Pam and Terry, Mm -hmm. and they ask if a boy by the name of Bobby D'Angelo or his friend Chris Morgan came by. Are these the guys who move out of state? Yes. They are, and since they moved out of state and they kind of crossed them off the list, I didn't talk about them. Okay, perfect. It felt like I was already talking about too much. Yeah. No, they are. They're in the original. Okay, good. Because I was very- like moved to California, I think. I was extremely confused by why they were put into the movie. But basically, they say that Chris Morgan used to sell ice cream to the boys. All right. Right? creepy but yes so they move to california and basically police are just like oh okay so we're gonna move on to then jason damien and jesse yep and we see police listening to some guy like lecture about these satanic rituals blah 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 and it's all about you know these kids listening to heavy metal music and Ouija boards, and all I thought about the whole time was like, like yeah, us, yeah. <laughs> the whole time I'm like literally just us yeah. in high school being us. Yep. So, um, Vicky Hutchison presents her son Aaron as a witness 
and he claims to have been present in the woods when the boys were killed. Got it. Okay. So between May and June, Aaron provides this kind of information during interviews with the police. And this is where they kept going like back and forth. And I got really confused. But according to the movie, the tapes from these interviews were never entered into the system as evidence. And it's because it sounds like Aaron wasn't actually a part of the case in real life. Yeah. Unless I missed that part somewhere, yeah. which is always a possibility. But it, I th- it sounds like something they would do for the movie, the way that this all plays out. Because he says, like, what did you see in the woods that day? I saw them. I tried to run. Jesse caught me. They tried to tie me up, but I kicked them off and I ran. And then Jesse catches me and they make me cut Chris and they make him drain his blood and they make me drink it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. So it seems like something that they would have just added in the, into the movie. It seems really odd. Right. So June 3rd, Jesse's interview with police, 12 hours, 46 minutes. Yep. Mm-hmm. He claims that Jason and Damien called and asked him to come into the woods with them on May 5th. And he confirms that they hit Chris Byers and Stevie and Michael and, uh, when the boys tried to get away, he claims that he left. So he didn't actually like see them kill anybody, but he mm-hmm. confirms that Jason did have a knife and he watched Jason cut one of the boys. So police arrest Damien, Jason and Jesse for the murders. And then our character Ron watches as police report that they have the three teens in custody in custody. And he feels confident um, that he can step in as like a private investigator and okay. like help these boys because he doesn't believe any of this fucking bullshit that Satan worship was like the motive for the killings. Yeah. And the fact that they were seeking death penalty, he's like, well, we already had three young boys die. We're going to kill three more. Right. Like this is some bullshit. So the state appointed prosecutors don't feel confident that they can really argue the boy's innocence based on their past, like you talked about. Mm-hmm. But um, Ron decides to meet with Damien's former probation officer who likens Damien to the son of Sam killer. Oh, episode 26. If you don't know, hey. <laughs> that's right. So I had to drop that. Um, Ron questions Damien why his police officer and why so many people would have these feelings about him. And I thought that this was really something in the movie. It stood out to me. Um, Damien says that um, people in town would say these things because he and his friends are like the witches of Salem. Right. Mm hmm. They accused these women based on nothing. Like if something strange happens in this town, it must be the work of Satan. Right. And they had to just pinpoint it on somebody. Why wouldn't it be us? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> However, in the movie, they did also make him 
So I guess it was probably condescending and just like mocking and like just being a punk where he's like telling the cops like, oh, but I do believe that human blood like holds powers and, you know, I would cut myself and drink human blood and I'm a Wiccan and this you, and that. No, all of that's Damien. I mean, yeah. he put that shit in his journal. Yeah, he put so, all that stuff about mm-hmm. the, that's why I said if you just pick it up and read it, it can it can be disturbing yeah. or whatever. I just I know kids who did who said shit like that for attention. Right. We had one gothic friend who remember she quote unquote wanted to grow her hair long enough that she could tie it like a noose around her right. neck. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for her to feel that way. She came from she came from a fine mm-hmm. family. This kid's coming from fucking the shit. From nothing. So, you know, know, kids say dumb shit. They do. They just do. Is it true or not true? I don't know. But it's just not it's not unbelievable to me that he wouldn't just say some edgelord shit for attention or to seem cool or I agree. Whatever. I to I totally agree. So Yeah, anyway. no, he talked about all that shit, being a Wiccan and the power of blood and blah 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 blah. Yeah. Dude, I have a TikTok saved on my phone for you right now <laughs> all about a girl trying to reach out to the witches of TikTok like how do I do this? I don't want to offend anybody. I want to be a witch. You guys seem fucking cool. And yeah. I'm just like, the girl, this is us. Yeah. Right? This is us. How do we get started? This yeah. is us. Anywho's, so Pam gets interviewed by local news and asked if she believes the whole Satan thing and the role of her son's death. Of course. I mean, just look at these freaks, right? You don't look like that if you're a normal person. Just talking mad shit. Yeah. Which, understandable. But this that was Pam, right? Yes. Yeah. But this sets Terry off. Mm. And this is something I didn't really piece together up until now because he does. He has a really strong reaction to her having the interview. Like, you're supposed to be in mourning and here you are just making a fucking fool of yourself. Mm. And he like, she's like, what are you going to do? Hit me. But instead of hitting her, he picks up the furniture and like pounds it against the house. Oh. And then um, the daughter starts crying. So it breaks up the fight before anything like really escalates. Yeah. And in real life, um, not only would Terry hit her, but he was actually pushing her to get over it, to get over the death. Okay. He thought that she was in mourning for, for too, too long because she had shocker a real hard time after her son got brutally fucking murdered. Right. She had a hard time bouncing Getting back. over it. And he constantly pushed her. You got to get over it. Life moves on. You got to keep going. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So gross. So August 4th, 1993, Jesse's trial is separated from the other two boys. Which be- is true in real life, too. Because he retracts his confession, claiming he only said what he thought the police wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. So then from January 26th, almost my birthday, through February <laughs> 4th, 1994, Jesse's trial um we learned that many of the facts he stated were completely wrong yep right so in the movie hearing all of this for the first time it's the first time that Pam is starting to question things Mm -hmm. like how could so much be wrong right like that's ridiculous like this whole fucking situation Mm -hmm. yep and so our fictitious her, her fictitious character Ron 
notices that um, some of the cameramen at the trial are not like local news people, but they're documentary people. Yep. And so when he approaches them, he asks if anyone's experienced anything weird. And one of them points out that Chris Byers gave them a knife. That is so. Yes, that happened too. Okay. So that, is this not the knife that the wife had thrown into the water? I'm, no, this okay. is. I don't honestly. I don't know. Okay. There's a lot about the other kid's stepdad yeah. who they said was innocent. There's a lot of shit that makes him look guilty, and I didn't go into it because they basically have crossed him off the list. So it right. felt like. It just felt like I was going to end up talking about too much and it was going to get too confusing with no, him for sure. versus Terry. I get that. But there's a lot of stuff. Like there was a thing about bite marks because one of the kids had um, been bitten. And so they tested the bite marks of the three and they didn't match. And so then they went to go test the bite marks of that dude and he had just had all of his teeth pulled randomly Ooh. for like. And so there's something about that. There was something about the knife. I can I don't know if I can even find it to look it up. But um I That's feel like crazy. it's a separate thing than the knife in the lockbox. Okay. But you know, keep talking and I'll try to find it and let okay. you know. Cuz I should have put it in there and honestly it was just so much that I was like, mm, if it, this guy is deemed innocent, let's just move on." Well, like you said, I mean, you're going through your notes and you're like, "I'm barely halfway through." And I'm like, "I feel you, girl. I'm the same way." Mhm. There's a lot going on in this case, but I like that for me, you tied up a lot of my loose ends and mine is bringing up a lot of random shit that you isn't that funny? Left out. Okay. New beverages. New beverages. I love that you're the top to our cooler has cup holders. I love this fucking little cooler. It's the best. Okay. So, like I said, our fake Ron <laughs> noticing these documentary people and now we've got this knife gifted by Chris Byers. No, so or the father of Chris Byers, John Mark Byers. Okay, Chris Byers is the one who was Pass, killed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and when Ron questions the police why this information wasn't made public, they're like, "Well, we haven't had time to test it for DNA yet." Yeah, that so, happens. February twenty eighth, March nineteenth, Eccles Baldwin trial. Where Chris Byers' father is finally questioned about said knife and the blood found on it matching his son, Chris. Oh, shit. And he claims the blood must actually be his own since he had cut himself using it when he was making, like, deer meat jerky or some shit. Mm -hmm. And so when Ron tries to talk to... Vicky, Aaron's mom, she's terrified. Like, if anyone sees him speaking to her, something bad's going to happen. She's like, "Mm -mm, you need to go talk to Detective so-and-so because I'm not fucking talking to you. Yeah, and I'm reading right now about the knife and everything you just said about the knife is true. And it's this. So this is a different knife. Yes. Than the one. So the one I was talking about was Stevie's pocket knife. That he never left home with that Terry had in a lockbox. Which box. the movie does get to in a bit. So, mm-hmm. yes, John Mark Byers had this hunting knife that he gave to a cameraman. Everything you just said. Okay. Yes. Okay. Absolutely true. Wow. And then it says that he um, agreed to and passed a polygraph test about the murders 
during the filming of Paradise Lost 2 because they made a sequel to Paradise Lost. And um, even though he passed the polygraph, they did note that he was under the influence of several psychoactive prescription medications that could have affected the test results. And then we have the teeth thing. Um, So I'm not quite sure why they wrote him off so easily, but he said and they agreed with him. Everyone, the documentary people, the investigators, everyone agree that he is the red herring of this case. Yeah. So many things look bad for him. But but he still comes off innocent. For whatever reason, I I don't want to go. I don't want to research the whole fucking thing all over again. But they have enough that they he's innocent. Yeah. And he's very against Terry Hobbs. Okay. Like he was talking cash shit at the threes second when they decided to do their Alford plea and everybody came back in for it. Yeah. He was uh, this dude. What's his name again? John or whatever. Um, Christopher's stepdad was talking to media. Terry has the audacity to show up and the media ask him questions and he doesn't answer. He just walks by and then this dude's talking cash shit. He's like, there goes the babe. There's that good. There goes that child killer. There goes that motherfucker. Wow. Da, 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 da. And then uh, Terry goes inside the courtroom and the cameramen are like, whoa. And he's like, it's a free country. I can say what I want. That's <laughs> crazy. It was crazy. Anyway, sorry to sidetrack. No, I love this. That's my favorite part. Okay, any hoozle. So, Detective Dawn explains that he and Miss Hutchinson had been working on a credit card fraud case related to her work when the kid's disappearance was going down. And so she was happy to offer her son Aaron as help since he was BFFs. Oh, yeah, of the course. Boys, right? And so we're going back to Aaron's whole story and according to Detective Donna it makes perfect sense because he is very aware of the satanic cults and rituals going on and has been for some time but they just didn't have anybody to like hold it against until now mm-hmm. right so when Ron asks how they confirmed Aaron's story Aaron's they say that they had Aaron's mom do some research behind the scenes, which you addressed in your notes. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how she used Jesse to get to Damien, who just happened to bring along Jason. Right. Right. And she claims that they invited her to an SBAT, right? A coven meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And, but. So in the movie, it was interesting the way that they played this out. So you see her talking to the detectives about this fucking orgy that she claims that they took her to. But then they also show her at her house watching movies mm-hmm. about like witches and whatnot. So it's right. like, you know, she's making up all this fucking story. And Ron calls the BS. He's like... Not only do the boys not have driver's licenses, they don't have fucking cars. Right. Like, and so they're just going to drive her to some fucking orgy, like, right. out in the middle of nowhere. And so they're still relying on Jesse's confession and this boy Aaron's claims of, like, what he saw in the woods. No physical, no actual evidence. 
and this might get me in trouble. This might be defamation of character, but I've known a lot of drug addicts and I was raised by drug addicts and I don't know if Vicky was on drugs, but I can tell you in that documentary from every single time they showed she her. She looked like it. Woo, she looked like she was spun mm-hmm. out from the trial all the way to when she recanted to then all those years later when she got interviewed for the documentary. She looked spun out every single fucking time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's true. That's just my judgment from the 30 seconds I saw of her. I, I could see that from the movie. So again, I'm focusing on Ron, this totally made up guy, because that's the only thing in the movie that we. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's separate. it's like they needed like a um like a like a for like a gravitating uh-huh. like something to yeah. Like a home base. So Ron is changing his investigation from trying to like prove the teen boy's innocence to finding facts that prove that the police aren't doing their fucking job. Right? Right. He's like, because I'm losing steam in one end. Like maybe if I try looking at it from a different point of view. And so this is what brings him back across Chris Morgan, the douchebag that moved to California. Uh-huh. And I guess apparently he failed his polygraph. Uh-oh. And um, he claims, again, that he basically has the same story as Jesse. Like, he was under investigation by these cops for fucking so many hours. He's like, I would have told them fucking anything. I would have told them anything they wanted just to get out of there. It's so crazy to think that that happens so often because you really feel like I'm not talking to anybody. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying shit without a lawyer. Yeah. But, you know, if you come from a po- impoverished or uneducated area or if you have a mental handicap or a learning disability like Jesse, mm-hmm. man, I guess it happens all the time. But here's the difference. So even though he s- makes a confession that he killed the boys and then takes it back, he walks. But here's Jesse in jail for murder. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's some fucking bullshit right yeah, there. It is. Uh, Jason gets offered a 20-year term to testify against Damien with the possibility to be out in 10, right? Which would make him like 26 years old if you think about mm-hmm. it, which is still a full life, like, in one way. But no, he's not going to lie. Right. He's not going to say that he's guilty when he's not. And he's not going to lie about his friend. He's like, no. Some would say he does the most Christian thing you could do. Right. Hello. Hypocritical assholes. Absolutely. So there were plenty other fucking asshole kids who had lots of things to Mm -hmm. say about Jason and Damien on the stand. And this is true in the movie, too. They Mm -hmm. they talk. They interview the locals who all have shit to say. And then fucking Finally, they pull up the manager of Bojangles. And I'm sorry, can we just address, I need a Bojangles in my life. It's just like a fried chicken place, right? I don't care. It's amazing. I need a Bojangles something. (laughs) I mean, isn't it just like Popeyes? I don't know. I think it's just like Popeyes, B. It's just in the South. Okay. I just, I love the name Bojangles. I I mean, I I do too. How much do you want a Bojangles t-shirt? Yeah, just a Bojangles something. I guarantee you, you can find Bojangles Mm -hmm. t-shirts. Oh, well, since we're on the topic, I might as well tell you. Fried chicken? Yes. Okay. Um, I I will always talk about fried chicken. Nick had a job in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And he's like, babe, 
I know it's like two hours out, but if I go and get you Chick-fil-A, <laughs> do you want to try it? You've never had Chick-fil-A? No. Oh. Okay. We've talked about this because you've told me, like, I've had Popeye's, which is... Oh, that's right. We've talked about this because I don't like Chick-fil-A. Correct. I'm like, I've had Popeye's, which is phenomenal. And I've heard a lot of back and forth between Chick-fil-A or whatever. And my parents even said, like, we go to Chick-fil-A because of the sides, this and that, whatever. So my loving husband is like, I am willing to bring you this Chick-fil-A. Yes. But then by the time you get it. To be fair, though, like, I don't feel like the drive really would have made a difference. A, a chicken sandwich is a chicken sandwich. I think if you had brought me a Popeye's chicken sandwich two hours later, it still would have beat the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. Right. I appreciate the quality of the bread. I appreciate the quality of the Chick-fil-A sauce. The quality of the chicken is subpar. Oh, yeah. That's what I told you. I know. I'm confirming <laughs> your beliefs when compared to the chicken of Popeye's. I will point out the fact that I was able to pick pepper jack cheese was thrilling. Wow. It is rare that you get pepper jack at any drive through restaurant. That, jack that in the is, box, baby. Pepper jack? Yep. Not all the time. All the time. On a chicken sandwich? Whenever you want. They have pepper jack there because they, it's the fucking spicy jack cheese. It's the pepper jack. They, they have a sandwich called the pepper jack okay so yeah they have pepper jack cheese well then there you go i would take a pepper jack cheese chicken sandwich from jack in the box over chick-fil-a any day also chick-fil-a is a bunch of homophobes so now that you've tried it you never have to eat there again amen and even though i did like the chick-fil-a sauce i can make that shit there's i I follow a girl on tiktok who has a recipe Mm -hmm. for it because that's her whole thing is it making like special. your your restaurant favorites or your fast food or your yeah. whatever homemade. She has a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich recipe. She has a spicy Popeye's chicken recipe. Right. She's got Chick-fil-A sauce recipe. But I've been wanting to know for myself for the longest time. I mean, look it. Here I am. I am 36 years old and I've never had Chick-fil-A until this I know. Week. I was just always so unimpressed by it. And I was. The fucking waffle fly, the waffle fries, yeah. go fuck yourself. Yeah. That is, that's some bullshit. Yeah. Go to Carl's Jr. Get a thousand times better. Yeah. I, my cauliflower waffle chaffle thing in my little <laughs> <laughs> mini dash is better than their waffle fries. <laughs> Listen, I know. And like I said, they're homophobes. So even if they had the world's best chicken sandwich, yeah, go, we're still not selling. We're still yeah, not giving you my money. Fuck yourself. No, nope. anyways, back to the you and Hobby Lobby can go fuck yourselves. The horrendous case. <laughs> there goes our Hobby Lobby sponsorship. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. OK. So, yeah, plenty of kids are willing to talk shit lie under oath because they're garbage anywho the manager of bojangles i just looked up the merch by the way their merch isn't that great it's basically just t-shirts with their logo on it which is fine but i think they they could really need better marketing extra yeah they need better marketing um he takes the stand and talks about that night and the man in the bathroom and what we find out is it wasn't until the next day that the police actually came to really take samples and ask people what happened and they had just come from finding the bodies so they were covered in mud and the first thing they asked was was the man covered in mud Uh which they confirmed yes 
Mm-hmm. And they took samples of the DNA, but the samples were lost. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. And that's it. And that's fucking and that's the end of it. it. And I'm just left with this knot in my stomach. I was left in a knot watching it and I could just like feel it in my gut right now just thinking about it. It's so gross. Mm-hmm. That's it. That was the end of the movie? Or no. that's just the end of Bojangles? No, that was that they that they could just easily just leave it at that. I know. Well, I mean that happened in real life too. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. How they could just so easily get dismissed like that. Like, oh yeah, we just lost the DNA. No big deal. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So March 9th through tenth, nineteen ninety four, Damien takes the stand in his own defense. Yeah, how's he do? I thought he did great. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we said, he's extremely well-spoken. You gave a more colorful mm-hmm. description. I feel like they really toned it down in the movie. Mm-hmm. He was not as upfront. Mm-hmm. He pointed out, like, I bought these books from the fucking library. Like, a lot of the notes that you guys are claiming about, they were already in the books. Yeah. Right? And I don't know why. Look, if he's guilty, then I'm going to have to answer for it at some point but i just i just got a little bit of a soft spot for him Mm -hmm. i just do i don't know if it's because we agree like i said we're friends with this guy in high school but there is a part of him that resonates with a part of me and i just really got a soft spot for him i see me in him so much of course yeah no and so they're even saying like when asked about the way that he dresses i made a note of this because it just it made me laugh and he's like yeah i look good in black (laughs) and i will say mom it's not a phase because he when he gets out of prison 18 years later and he's with his wife. The documentary team is showing him shopping and stuff. He's still, still wearing head to toe black. He's got a like a and black still probably hat on. Really good in it and glasses. Yeah. And he's like shopping with his wife, and he finds like a street vendor selling jewelry, and he buys this like um, fake rosary bead necklace. And when I, was- I ask Violet to to list favorite colors, I'm like, Violet, what's your favorite color? She's like, pink. And the rainbow. And I'm like, and what's mom's favorite color? Green. And what's auntie's favorite color? Black. Black, baby. <laughs> Gray's a close second no, when she, I'm feeling colorful. And she knows that as well. <laughs> she knows that that is she. And she will like she has her pink and rainbow. She goes, auntie is black and gray. And what am I wearing right now? Black okay. leggings with a gray thermal. Right. <laughs> it's so true. I just, yeah, there's yeah. a part of him that really touches a soft spot in my Yeah, spot but just as simple as that, what, you know, why do you dress? I look good in black. I just love black. Cause right? I he, and he did mention, he's like, and it also, like, it keeps you fuckers away. Like, you want to judge me? You want to read into me? Like, fine. I'm happy to outcast myself. Like, I don't need you people in my life. Um, He admits to being a Wiccan but not to being a part of any kind of group or cult or anything satanic whatsoever. The only evidence they have is the way that they dress, the books that they read, the music they listen to, the bullshit. Damien is found guilty. Jason is found guilty. Blah, 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 blah. We all know this. So finally, it's when we're tying things up at the end of the movie that Pam tells our imaginary friend Ron 
down by the river where, where they found the boys. Don't you ever let anyone forget what happened in this town and what happened to our boys. And she gives him the pocket knife of Stevie's that she found hidden in the attic. She's like a pocket knife that Stevie took everywhere that she swore up and down. There's no reason why Stevie wouldn't have had this on him Mm -hmm. that day. So why would I find it? Not only in my house, but hidden in the attic. Yeah. And so she gives that to Ron, like, you figure this shit out. She's like, I don't know what to believe anymore. I'm done. We see her pack up her shit and her daughter and leave. Good. At the end of the movie. Fuck you, Terry. Mm-hmm. She bounces. Um, Obviously shook by everything that's going on. And Ron is like, he knows in his heart the boys are innocent. And so the movie ends with these notes. Aaron Hutchison later admits he has no clue what really happened that day. Right. He and his mother recanted their testimony, claiming police threatened them. They were afraid for their lives. Mm-hmm. Two years later, Chris Byers Sr., his wife, is found dead in oh. their family home. And her death is ruled undetermined. Oh, shit. So that's a follow-up. That's definitely a follow-up for next week. Police never submitted the DNA samples taken from Pam and Terry Hobbs the day that they originally were uh-huh. interviewed by police. But in 2006, our imaginary Ron secretly obtained new DNA samples of Terry's that did match a hair found in the bindings used Mm -hmm. to tie up Michael Moore. And that's all I got of that, right? Which you obviously went more into depth for. Um, Obviously, the bloody man from Bojangles never found... And after 18 years in prison, Damien, Jason, Jesse negotiate an Alfred plea with the state of Arkansas, and they are set free in 2011. Remain convicted felons. The last scene. Because they couldn't leave it at that. They just have to add the boys walking their bikes into the woods. Yeah. Where you know what's waiting for them I know. like that you you just you have to just bring it back around it just really just stabbed me in the heart one last time thanks a lot fucking dickholes <laughs> <laughs> fucking assholes and um there is something about the bikes i didn't write that down either but there's the bikes were hidden too basically and they found the bikes hidden. Like, the bikes yes. weren't just in plain sight. They in, had to, like... In the movie, they discussed how the clothes were, like, poked down yep, with sticks. the riverbed. And, and, yeah. then the hi- and then the bikes were hidden, too. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. All of that was discussed. We're not going to talk about it again because it's fucking awful. How many knives do you get out of five? So, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. Yeah, I think it did a really good job. It seemed like it stuck really close to the case. Um, I'm really interested in the book now. I don't know if I can work up the nerve to read it, but I Ugh. might. I might get squirrely one day and read it. Yeah. Because I, I really did like the movie a lot. Like I said, it was one of, there was a few movies that were stuck in my brain that made, uh, inspired this podcast. And this was one of them. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I do remember liking the movie a lot. I haven't watched it in a long time, but four seems fair. Yeah, the only thing, like I said, is probably because the way that I had to watch it, breaking it up into bits and pieces, but the way that they jumped around with the interviews and the timeline, I feel like they could have just kept things going in order. And it would have... Mm-hmm. And then also to bring in this imaginary guy. But I was thinking about it a lot when you were talking about it. I bet you he obviously is a mixture of characters because they yeah. did have a PI. Yeah. And they did have an investigative journalist write a book, Devil's Not. <clears throat> but what I think really forced their hand to do it is the main driving force behind this movement is Damien Eccles' wife. Okay. And I bet you it was just one too many things to add to the movie. Yeah. Because now they have to show Damien Eccles falling in love with somebody from prison. And and again, in the movie, we do see that he has a girlfriend at the time before he's arrested. But this is a different person. Correct. Yeah. No, I know. And that she is pregnant with a baby. And he does discuss that, like, while he's on trial, that the, the son is born. But never do we find out about this other person later on. Yeah, because she was inspired by that movie, I believe. She was inspired by Paradise Lost. She reached out to him and they just exchanged yeah. letters, hit it off. She said by the time that they got married or whatever, they had written over like 5,000 letters to each other. Yeah. Um, would talk all the time. I could see so, that. Um, yes. So I bet you that's what it was. I bet you for the movie that was just like one thing too many. Yeah. And so they created this character that embodied a few different people. Talk about one thing too many. I will point out that um, in the movie, the defense prosecutors, I feel so dumb talking about this shit because I don't know what I'm talking about. So there's the prosecutors, the state prosecutors, the state, and then there's the defense team. So the defense team is representing the three. Okay. so And the state prosecutors are like... If you want to think of it in terms of like good guys and bad yeah. guys, the pro- the de- the prosecutors are de- are representing like the victims, okay. the state trying to prove the three guilty. So the defense team. Yes, they're defense lawyers. I felt for them. I felt bad for them. They literally they just admit like they break down to the this, original ones. Yeah, to yeah. this investigator like we do not have the manpower. We do not have the time. They are literally flooding us with all of this bullshit. So that we can't even get to the actual facts. Right. Like we can't even find. And I'm sure due to the what seemed like the three's lot in life. I'm sure these are like the court appointed. No, exactly. No, that's what I said. The state appointed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because trust me, things really pick up when they get their hands on some good lawyers. By the way, um, the lawyer team who took on. At least Damien's case. I don't know if it was all three of the guys' cases, but at, at, for sure, at least Damien's. They're from San Francisco. Amazing. It was a um, a defense team from San Francisco. And I know uh, quite a few of the lawyers, because it was more than just them, worked pro bono and yeah, made it happen. And then they had all those celebrities financing it, yeah. bankrolling like an actual defense team. Love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so let's talk about my look. Look of the week, B. If you only, look a mom. If only we had a dead end sign anywhere. 
if it, listen, if we were still uh, in Walnut Creek, California, at my mom's house, they have a dead end. They have a dead end sign right up the street from their house. Right, because that is literally like just the most epic reoccurring image from the movie. But one scene that really struck me was a scene where Reese Witherspoon playing Pam is in her son's bed, just like holding on to her Bible. And I believe it was like an Elvis figurine because I think in the movie her son was like obsessed with Elvis. Okay, fair enough. Like an Elvis song. It is the king. And the, I want to point out that she always had her hair done. Yeah. Always. Mm-hmm. Always had her hair done. Mm-hmm. So here I am in my robe, my pajamas, going to cuddle up in an eight-year-old boy's bed. <laughs> With my hair, dude. A real life eight year old boy's bed. It's yeah. so authentic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With my hair, did my hair did? And we're gonna find us a Bible. Easy. It's on my bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Not because I want it to be. Yeah. But it's just there. So yeah, and there you go. That's my inspiration because I didn't know where else to go with this one. It's but a rough that, one. Yeah, that scene really just struck me, and it's not like I a, mean, you could have done the whole like heavy metal situation. And I thought about it, and if I could get to our Ozfest t-shirt mm-hmm. it is in my shed currently right now which is behind Christmas and Halloween yeah, and I wasn't gonna lot. dig through all of that to Fair get enough. to my Ozfest shirt because I could have totally yeah, gone that route I, I, no I thought about us easily mm-hmm. I'm like I could I could go there but this was easier hope you guys can hear my bassa hound whining in the background hey <laughs> so I was gonna ask you did um your Work week get affected by this whole stock market situation. Oh, yeah. How's that been working out? It's fine. I mean, I appreciate my manager's point of view where he's all like, you know, your fucking generation. I can appreciate. I don't think it's our generation. I think it's Gen Zers, man. But still, he yeah. he sees me like he calls me kiddo. You yeah. Know? yeah. We're all just melted in together. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's, he was somewhat impressed by the whole situation. I love it. Yeah. I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Exactly. But Absolutely incredible. I wish I had more to talk about. And it's really all I got. Yeah. Like I said, this case kind of just absorbed me for it the was past a lot. two days. It was a lot of the week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So it, it like blanked out anything. It's been a crazy storm here in Northern California. Mm-hmm. We usually get maybe like two really bad storms in the winter. And we are in the middle of our first one this winter. Up the street. We walked to the pigs. Oh, yeah. Whole trees down. The whole tree. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Trees are falling. Branches everywhere. Yeah. It's they, a mess here. Uh, they got hit way harder than we did. And that's just up the street. Mm-hmm. And then my dad lives an hour and a half north of us. And he got hella snow. Snow. Inches and inches and inches of snow. Yeah. Crazy. And then our beautiful Mount Shasta up in Northern California got like, like it's covered. Yeah. Tons of snow. We're in the middle of a crazy crazy winter storm it's not over yet i think i think we still have a few more days of rain so you know that's all we've been doing sitting at home looking at the rain yeah reading about the west memphis three love being at my work when it's raining Mm -hmm. because like basically the whole one side of the building is windows looking out on a lake oh yeah so i just get to watch the rain hit the water i love being at home when it's raining and I don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. As long as I don't have to go anywhere, I'm pretty happy. Mm-hmm. All right. So to see B's look of the week, THC true on Instagram 
I don't do anything on Twitter anymore. TH <laughs> Hollywood Crime on Oh, I need to say Facebook. something about Twitter. Please. I don't know how to work it. I literally reactivated my Twitter account. Wow. Just so that I could try to find the viral bus it challenge. Okay. Have you not seen that on TikTok? I've yet? seen it on TikTok a bunch. Have you found it? On TikTok? Like the actual video. No, I just see people doing it. The bus it. Okay. Bus it. So. Are you fucking. Right. There's a viral one flying around where I guess it's banned everywhere but on Twitter. Wow. Where the girl, when you finally get to it, she's actually riding a dick. Oh, exciting. So people are giving their blind reaction to it. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, fuck. Now I got to reactivate my Twitter. (laughs) Did you find it? No, because it's buried amongst a bajillion. Yeah, I have no idea how Twitter works. I don't either. Exactly. So I'm just like, I don't even know why I took the time to even reactivate my account to figure out something I I never knew how to work to begin with. I don't think I posted anything on behalf of us in... Oh, God. It doesn't matter. At least five episodes. But while I was in there, I did look and I'm like, oh, look, there we are. Hey, (laughs) there we are. How exciting. You can also see us on all streamings. All streaming sites. All. We've had zero action on Apple. Apple. Yeah, but nobody's listened to us on Apple. Well, that's because they need to get it together. Come on, Apple. Recommend us to some Apple people. Come on, I people. Um, All streaming services, Facebook, Instagram. Interact with us. Show us some love. Recommend us to somebody. Like, rate, subscribe. Is that what people say on YouTube? Thumbs up. Yeah. Send us nudes. You know. Yes. Whatever. Love it. (laughs) And next week, we will be back with something a little less serious, A little less awful. I mean, still awful. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're here still for, right? Still awful. People are bound to die. We're, murder is still awful. Murder is still in it. Slightly less horrible than eight-year-old boys yeah. with mutilated genitalia. Uh, fucking dinosaur turtles. <laughs> <laughs> that plot twist, I can't, but... Love you all. Hey, and we, love we you. will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.